This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. One of you asked me to describe the different energy in the different instinct panels that we have run so far, and this is kind of what I came up with. The SX panel felt penetrating and broody. The social panel felt sunny and bubbly, kind of like a busy downtown coffee shop. And this particular panel, the self-preservation panel, felt very serious and intentional. You'll see what I mean. You'll notice that a few terms pop up like non-negotiable or longevity. And we noticed that there was more of a checking back to their notes to see what they had pre-contemplated before we started recording. That was different than the other two panels where it seems as though all of those eights really just winged it. As always, we will just reiterate that this isn't a science. Everything we do here on this podcast is based on lived experience and observation and self-reporting. We've learned a lot just by listening to you all and observing the way you respond to different things. We're finding patterns, but nothing is fixed. We're just learning as we go, and we're having a blast doing it. So we'll start with just give us your name, where you live, and all your eight stuff, all the info you know about you. So I'm Chelsea. I live in just outside of Greensboro, North Carolina. I am an eight five three SPSXSO. Do you want me to do like the three words? Oh, go for it. I decided on two and every word I thought of was so negative. It carried such a negative connotation. So I finally just stopped, but I settled on practical and controlling. I am Lamar from Austin, Texas. My tri-type is 873. My instinct stacking is SP. S-X-S-O. Three words to describe me, cautious, withdrawn, and territorial. But I'm completely different when I'm not triggered by insecurity. Yeah, yeah that's why I definitely qualified in your instinct. Okay, Lisa, tell us a bit about you. Lisa, uh, I live in Houston, Texas, 852 Tri-Type. And my instinct stacking is S-P-S-O-S-X. And the three words to describe me in in my instinct, highly attuned to environment and to others, resourceful, and also generous. My name is Amanda Kite. I am based about uh, 20 minutes south of Winnipeg, Manitoba in Canada. Tri-type is 864. And um, I am S-P-S-X-S-O. And three words to describe me would be decisive, practical, and critical. Okay, so a few observations is that almost all of you have SX second. So I think when we hear discrepancies, it'll probably be Lisa going, I don't think so. <laughs> That's <laughs> We found that so far anyway, it matters a lot. And then also you cover all the possible numbers and tri-types. So that's really great. We've got the five, we've got six, we've got seven, we've got two, three, and we've got four between all of you. So that's just good to note, to know that we've got like a good balance, but not 
enough social going on maybe so Lisa and Erin you'll have to like pull your weight a little in terms okay so we love to just have you guys visualize what happens when you walk into a party or just a kind of grouping just describe to us what typically happens even like when you just get the invite like what what's kind of the thought process uh do you want to go do you not want to go and then what happens when you're there what role do you play so Chelsea why don't you let us know Okay. So, uh, when I get the invite, I am usually excited. Depend, I guess, depending on who it is or what it's for. If it's like a friend's birthday party for their kid, I am sending a gift to the house. But if it's something with people my age, then I'm excited usually, or maybe I'm not excited. I'm going like with someone else. But when I walk into the party, I am immediately just feeling with my gut. Like, does does this feel safe to me? Does this feel good to me? I am kind of doing that like initial vibe check with my gut. And then at the same time with my brain, I'm looking like, where's my safety net? So whether that is something that I feel like I can serve, I can do, you know, there's, there's going to be dishes that need to be done after dinner. So that's where I'm hightailing it to. If I don't like how I'm feeling or, you know, I know this person and we are close. So they're my kind of safety net to fall back on. And then from that point, just kind of making it work from there. So if the vibe is, <laughs> I hate that word, but I always go back to that. If the vibe is good, if I feel good, then I'm a little more willing to mingle and talk to different people and be a little more social, kind of figure people out. But if I do not like the feeling, if there's an opportunity to dance, I will always go straight to the dance floor because I can control that a little bit. I have been known to be a bit of an aggressive dancer and people don't really get close with me. <laughs> so I can kind of keep my space, keep my distance, keep my eye on everyone. And also with that kind of draw people in, I feel like I can put people in a physical space where I feel good when I am dancing. And so if there's an opportunity to dance, I'll absolutely take that. But I'm not, I'm also like, I'm not scared to leave early. This doesn't feel good. I'm out. <laughs> I've never heard of dance as like your safety bubble. That's <laughs> yeah, no, it feels though. Like if, if there's something going on, like I'm going to go dance, I'm going to start that. That way, first of all, no one can approach me and say, hey, do you want to go dance? Like I'm already dancing, leave me alone. And then if there is someone that, you know, I would like to dance with or am okay, like being close to or talking to, I'm okay to walk away from that and go have a conversation or um, you know, simmer down a little bit, but that's kind of how I keep my space is just to, to go and create a little bubble on the dance floor and just kind of live in it. And I'm happy to do that by myself. So getting an invitation to a party, I would say I always want to attend as long as there is no expectation for me to show up a second time. If I'm not committing to an event being on my calendar long-term, I'll do it. Uh, I usually want to go. When I get there, walking in the door, the first thought that came to me is I uh, look who's coming toward me. I'm, I put myself in a place where people have to come to me. I, I hardly ever walk up to someone at a party. Usually if no one approaches me, I'll, I'll stay at the perimeter and just watch people. I have found that this attracts sevens to me a lot, sevens and threes. And they are the most fun people for me to talk with. So or eights. I mean, I, I enjoy, I, <laughs> yeah, had an incident the other week at a um, chamber of commerce meeting where I had a chat with an eight and Joe, I had to think of how you said that uh, eights paw at each other. That guy was pawing all 
the time we were talking, constantly pushing me and just to see what how I would react. So it was interesting. But yeah, I found that I attract high energy people to me. <laughs> Something I really love to do is to draw them into a conversation, especially a social person that wants to float around the room. I love drawing them into a conversation to make them forget that they're a social event. And if they all of a sudden come to their senses and they're like, oh, I, you know, there's other people and they walk away, I just smile. I'm like, ah, that was fun. I, I got you caught up and you thought you were floating and you, <laughs> you had so much fun with me, you couldn't leave. For the most part, I allow the party to come to me when I'm out socially. Yeah, I'm just, I'm hearing the um, control factor is remarkable. Both of you so far have talked about putting yourself in a position where they have to come to you and you're very aware of that. And then your SX was something you chose to do. Like you chose to engage it almost like a game. Whereas I can't choose, you know, I'm locked. Okay, so Lisa, let's hear from you. What happens when you get an invite? Okay. When I get an invitation, I'm always, I love them, but I need to RSVP pretty promptly because if I just delay, I'll change my mind. You know, sometimes the SP gets in the way and I'll change my mind. So I RSVP right away. And when I get to the party, I check the energy. Then I start mingling because my social kicks in. I wrote down, um, I feel like it's a good time when I have circulated the whole room, like said hello to everybody and stuff like that. You know, it's kind of, I love deep talk, but at parties, I, I like small talk and, you know, just circulate to percolate and get to say hello to everybody. If I get cornered and talk too long to one person, I feel like, oh my gosh, I didn't get to say hello to this, this, and that person. So that's how I feel. But I wrote down, you know, being self-pres, um, this is where it kicks in. Very health conscious, right? I either bring my own wine and make sure at least there's one good bottle of wine, or else <laughs> I just won't drink. And that's no fun, right? But yeah, I've had been to parties and you go, oh my gosh, could they have just spent five more dollars on a bottle of wine? <laughs> and, you know, um, if the food's bad, I just won't eat. You know, typically I eat before I go to a party so I can just have fun. Yeah. Can I ask a follow-up question to that? Because you said yeah. that if you don't get to talk to everyone, for you, is that a feeling of like being caged in and trapped? Like, are you feeling very cagey or more just disappointed? Oh, disappointed, not caged in. But like disappointing because a lot of times the parties that you go to, typically, you know, several people. And if you didn't get to talk to them or at least say hi, it's just kind of like just disappointed. The connection. I wrote down connection and circulation. Yeah. So, And this is just Chelsea highlighting the difference between your second number. Okay, go for it, Amanda. So when I get a party invite, my first thought is, why am I invited? And I look to see, like, is there is there an underlying cause? Like, especially if it's not like a really close friend of mine. And then I try my hardest to avoid it. I try my hardest just to say no, that I have other plans because I really hate parties. <laughs> so if I do actually go, if it's something that, that I need to go to uh, some social event, and, and this counts even for like family gatherings and things. I will survey the room, kind of take the temperature of who's in a good mood, who's not in a good mood, um, who's talking to who. And if it's a bunch of people that I don't know, I look to see, like, are those genuine conversations or is it just a bunch of fake laughs? Because I don't want to talk to those people. I pretty much stay on the perimeters. <laughs> if there's a chair, I'll sit there and observe. Yeah, I just wait and bide my time looking for the first moment that I can leave. 
and I'm yeah very uncomfortable. I will host anytime. I will have random people in my house. I will do all that if I'm the one hosting and in control of the situation. Do any of the rest of you kind of dissect why you got invited? Is that because Amanda has six? And as we talked about in her interview, the six is very skeptical. Chelsea's nodding. Do you do that, Chelsea? I, I do. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm eight, five, three, but I am always looking at people's like behaviors and, and motives because that's how I like to feel people out. I like to know that thing about you. So if it's someone close to me, you know, not so much or someone I know, but if it's someone that I don't know well, for sure, I'm saying, okay, what's what's your motive? Why do you want me here? Okay, interesting. We asked you guys to think about whether you feel like you're hot, warm, or cold. Sometimes you're going to say you're all three in different circumstances. We'll see. Open, guarded, closed. So Chelsea, how about you? So if you ask me, I am going to tell you that I am cold, somewhere between guarded and closed. My coworkers would tell you that I'm warm. There are a handful of people that would probably say that I'm hot. I'm just a lot. Um, the people who are close to me, the people that I feel safe with, I try really hard not to come across as cold. People tend to run away. What does it mean that you feel cold? I am just like not a warm person typically. So and my kids, you know, my family, sure, like warm hearted, right? Um, I once had someone describe me as hot-headed and cold-hearted. Honestly, <laughs> that was so accurate, but I try really hard not to appear that way. Um, certainly to people you know, I work with on a day-to-day basis, I don't want people to feel like they can't come to me or that I'm this scary person who is hard to talk to or hard to get along with. And I you know, certainly can be that way if I need to, but I don't want people, I don't want to come across that way. So I try not to, but I think the motivation to that is I want people to feel like they can come to me and share things with me so that I know more about them and I can control them. And that's very cold. The heart of the matter is very cold. I try really hard to come across as very warm. And I do genuinely care for people, my coworkers and things. But at the end of the day, like I want to protect myself. And that feels very cold to me, typically. Uh, my coworkers would say, oh, Chelsea, you know, could spew out things that I like, don't like things about me, but they're very, for the most part, pretty surface level. Or or if they are deep, they're things that I have let go. Oh, I had this happened to me once. It was very traumatic, but I've let it go. So like, I'm not going to share anything that's affecting me day to day right now. I would lean more toward guarded. I'm just very particular about what I share with people. It sounds like you don't want to give anything they might hook into to pull you deeper. No, I will pull you. You will not pull me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. How about you, Lamar? Typically warm and guarded, I would say. I can go hot or cold. If I'm feeling insecure, I'll, I'll go cold. Uh, if I'm feeling overconfident, I'll be hot. I think for the most part, though, I'm either warm or cold. Typically guarded. Uh, Ruthann has, my wife has said that... Uh, I can be too open at times, and I'm not exactly sure. I think overconfident, again, might make me too open. I, I share too much, too fast, sometimes, but generally guarded. If I'm feeling insecure, I'm closed. Do you find you overshare when you're nervous, like when you're insecure? Sometimes I use it as a decoy, like I'll overshare to fill a silence or something. 
No, usually I'm, I would say I'm trying to get someone to understand why I don't agree. And I, I spew things that I shouldn't. Okay. How about you, Lisa? Most of the time I am warm unless my buttons are pushed or I feel backed into a corner, then I'll either go cold or hot depending on the situation. Um, but most of the time I'm warm. And as you guys know, I am guarded at first, but as soon as you pass the test where you're safe, I mean, I, I go open right away. So um, initially guarded, and then I, I'm pretty open hearted. And Amanda? Uh, I would say that I am warm, though I have been told that I can be cold. Maybe it's I wish I was warm and the things I say come out cold. But I do know that I have a very lack of empathy for other people. So it could come off as cold. I would say that I am guarded. But then, yeah, if you gained my trust, then I can be open. This instinct, by definition, is the instinct of self-protection. So let's talk about that. How do you relate to this being an instinct of self-protection? or self-preservation. I mean, just that phrase self-preservation like that idea truly it dictates everything that I do and I would include my kids in there cuz I'll I'll set myself aside for my kids but that's about it. Like it is so strong and ingrained. I don't people will point things out to me and now that I'm more self-aware I'm just like, "Ooh, that's that self-pres I'm um, coming in pretty strong." And so I feel like it truly dictates everything I do. I'm still trying to figure out if I'm okay with that or not, but I've accepted that it is It is what it is. Good for you. That's the first step. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I protect my body, my time, my energy. Definitely will not go outside of my inner circle if I don't feel like my body, my time, and my energy are, are taken care of first. I'm the same way. Um, I guess it would be like that oxygen mask thing, right? <laughs> it's the same thing. It's like you can't save others until you save yourself. The first time I heard that announcement on, on an airplane, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, what is it necessary to tell people to take care of yourself first? I mean, that was just so <laughs> shocking to me. Why, why don't people just realize this? I definitely take care of myself. And I would say even with my kids, I always said, I'm not going to be the mom that doesn't shop for myself. I am not going to be the, the mom that eats my kids' leftovers. There is none of that happening here. My kids would have, like as a young mom and staying at home, um, they would have four-hour quiet times because I wasn't ready for them yet. So they could play by themselves because grumpy mom was here and that doesn't help anybody. So... Now it shows up in things like not long commitments because I don't know how I'm going to feel, you know, six weeks down the road. Um, so I can't commit to something once a week. There's a lot of guarding my calendar and my time. With yeah. self-pres second, I really relate to what you guys are saying, but it feels like self-pres is tugging me. It's like yanking me, but I can say no and grab my hand back. You know what I mean? And say like, I, I'm not going to let that dictate, but I really get it. Like, I really, really understand. Whereas Erin, I just, she doesn't relate <laughs> at all. Yeah. I think you guys are speaking a different language to me and I'm so <laughs> envious of your, of your language. Like I want to, I want to be able to speak it. Those of us that can't access this easily are envious. Okay. So we um, 
withdrew from a man named Mario Sakura because he has interesting nicknames for the instincts that are just different. And so for you guys, he said, you're the preservers. It was the idea of like maintaining what you've built, being interested in the idea of legacy and what your children will, what you will be passing on to them. Um, respect for tradition institutions. I think that's what he means by preserving. So I just wanted to ask you guys if you related to that at all. Chelsea? So yes and no. I come from a family that has very strong traditions and legacy. So some of that feels very natural to me, but I, I also think a bucket a little bit. I grew up in a pretty traditional family. I was an only child. I mean, my mom is so structured. So growing up, there was a lot of, this is what we do every single year on this day, we have to do it. And I grew up very busy. And so as an adult, a lot of times feeling just busy and overwhelmed, I think I tend to buck that and say, you know what, we can slow down and that is okay. Um, And so I appreciate those things. I appreciate tradition. I appreciate the idea of legacy and and thinking about what I'm leaving behind, I don't know that I really wholeheartedly latch onto that idea. The eightness is going to trump this. That's why we ask it because it, it's going to fit certain types really well. So this is why we're asking. Okay. So how about you, Lamar? Not really. And yet, um, if I think about prior to 19, when my mom made us move to a new property, like I referenced in the first interview. I would say prior to that, I was very, I was okay with how things were, but my life since then has been bucking all of that. I mean, all traditions, institutions, and everything. It's only recently that I'm starting to see value in those from a more intellectual point of view. So I don't know. It's kind of like, again, I'm guarding myself from having that kind of thing happen where my my safety net gets torn away. So I just refuse to have anything physical that someone can take away. Lisa? I totally relate to legacy, like as far as equipping people, you know, that is important to me. But as far as tradition and doing like the same thing year and year out, no way. I mean, it's boring routine. I, I like to get together this, you know, for birthdays and holidays and stuff, but make it fresh and exciting. So yeah, tradition doesn't feel comfortable to me. Closed in. There's a lot of traditions that don't make sense to me. And so for me and my family, we will create our own kind of like, this is what we do for birthdays. I have a birthday plate that, you know, anybody whose birthday it is, they eat off of because I think it's fun. Yeah, but the things that have been passed down from generation to generation, things that you do certain days, the way certain gatherings are held or something, if it doesn't make sense to me, then, you know, but if I want it, then sure. How about all of you, your view of like institutions, do they feel safe? I'm assuming our eightness is going to just kill this. <laughs> but I'm just the idea that you have, you know, this stable entity that has been around a long time. Does that appeal to your self-preservation? No, mm-hmm. no. Only in the way that there's an accountability in that institution instead of just free roaming and just being able to do whatever you want. But again, only if it makes sense. And I am so distrustful. I'm like, if this institution has been around, you know, sure, there are black and white like policies, procedures on paper, but you expect me to believe that there aren't politics and money and 
relationships on the inside of this long-standing institution that aren't going to trump the black and white on paper. I don't trust that for a minute. I am drawn to anything that has been around for a long time. I like, I'm fascinated by the fact that it has lasted a long time. But again, I mean, like the others have said, as soon as I detect any sort of corruption or yeah, anything like that, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I mean, <laughs> I would then turn to how can I bring it down? If I detect <laughs> there's corruption, how can I bring it down? So let's move into physical well-being, which is a really big part of this. I just left it really, really broad and you can take it where you want. So this is the aspect of your instinct that's like very aware of your body. It could be fitness levels, definitely food. We already talked about this. Um, Risk, like taking risk with your body. So Chelsea, how does this show up for you? I am very aware of my body. I did gymnastics for about 16 years. So like my physical body, that is mine. I want to know exactly what it's doing. I want to be in control of everything and I want to be in control of my body first. Physical fitness is so important to me. Physical fitness shows up for me as stress relief. Like if if my brain is all full, I just go for a run. And I know, especially if I'm sitting with something really uncomfortable, I'm going to go for a run or I'm going to go lift. I'm going to go get a workout in and just get rid of that energy. Um, And typically while I'm running, I can kind of have that space to sort things out in my head and come back to the table and be able to have a level-headed conversation. Or I like to think things through. I like to be very intentional with my words. And I feel like after a run or after a good workout, I am more, I'm better equipped to do that. Um, So just that like stress relief and then just being able to get some of that energy out so that I don't spiral down some crazy rabbit hole and can truly just be very intentional, you know, with my thoughts and with my words with others. With food, I enjoy like food. If something is very well-prepared, well-made, I'll enjoy it. But I truly eat as like a function. I will eat like plain chicken and some raw vegetables and call it a day. I don't need food that tastes great. I don't need great, I don't know, great food, great drink. I am very okay with simple food. I just need I need the calories in so that I can put the calories back out, right? So I I feel like food is very much a function for me rather than something that I truly enjoy. And then physical risk. So I enjoy things that are challenging physically, but to feel physically threatened or like I am at some sort of physical risk by someone else. No. First of all, you remind me of my cousin. She's a self-pres 853. Food is absolutely just fuel. That's all it is. It's different than Lisa. You're Epicurean, Lisa, I think. Like you're a foodie, but she guards her exercise time militantly. Like no one can touch her exercise time. It will happen hell or high water. And it is a survival thing. And then she'll like pop food. She doesn't care what it tastes like. It's just fuel to make sure her body's like top notch. And it's it sounds a lot like what you're saying. I certainly have a little love affair with potato chips and Coke when I get stressed. I'm like, I need a Coca-Cola and some Lay's potato, just salt and sugar. I need it. Today's day four of no potato chips and no Coke for me. So round of applause, please. Thank you. I also, with physical fitness, I think about my kids. I want to be the parent or the grandparent or the great-grandparent who is able to keep up and run with my kids, my grandkids, my great you know, grandkids, if I'm able to see that. When I think about the oxygen on the airplane, yes, I absolutely will 
do what I need to for myself, but I want to be in a good shape and a good place where I can rip that off, go help someone else and come back, get my oxygen, go back. So there is a part of me and grew up in a lifestyle of service. Our family is big into serving others. And so there is a part of that, that I think, you know, I want to be the best I can be so that I can go and help others. My job is at times physically challenging. I want to be able to, you know, pull pop all up in the bed with someone else. And, and there's a little bit of pride and ego in that too. Like I love when, you know, there's a 400 pound man in a bed and I go in with another girl and, Hey, we're going to pull you up and we're going to slide you up in the bed. And, Oh, you're just a little girl watch me. (laughs) So I, I, there is a little bit of pride in that for sure. But yeah, physical fitness is, is I've had to let off a little since having kids and accepting that I can't have that time every day. Um, So I'm grateful for it. I think it makes me more appreciative of it when I do get it. Yeah. Physical fitness working out is not something I could get myself to do until, well, I must've been almost 30 before I I did my first workout just because I tried push-ups as a teenager. And I'm like, this hurts. Who wants to be hurt on purpose? (laughs) But I can make myself work out. I think this ties into legacy. Um, Like Chelsea said, I want to be able to run and play with my grandchildren and great grandchildren. I will do it for that reason. Food. (laughs) I grew up overeating to the point of physical pain. Like I would overeat to the point of, of being so full, I couldn't enjoy myself for the next two hours. And I think a lot of that was driven from one, just the enjoyment of food. And two, I didn't want to get hungry before the next time I had food available. So I want to make sure I had enough to last. And physical risk, (laughs) for the most part, to me, it's absolutely stupid to put one's life at risk for fun. (laughs) Lisa, do you have anything to add to that? Oh, this is good. This is so good. Fitness, it's totally non-negotiable. Like I move every day and, and what I do, it just depends on how much time, but like I'm super active all day long and I don't give that up no matter what's going on. So that that's a non-negotiable as far as just movement in the morning food. I love delicious, good food. Every now and then I do eat for function, you know, like if I'm like a busy day and stuff like that, and I don't have time to do it, it it is like, like you said, meat, vegetables, and just get it done. Um, But mostly I like to have fun with it because it's kind of my creative outlet and physical risk. It just depends. I love being pushed to the edge. Like I love crazy hikes, but I'm in control of my body. Okay. But uh, when it comes to skiing, I mentioned this before, I got hurt on a ski trip one time because I was having fun going fast and wasn't even thinking about it in the moment, got injured. And so now how I play in the snow is I will either snowshoe or cross country because I'm not willing, like if I'm 90 and I'm in a wheelchair, just put a pillow over my face. (laughs) I would not be happy. Yeah. Yeah, I I think longevity all the time. Go ahead, Lamar. You've totally talked about this before. A couple of things I would like to add is, yes, I will swallow anything if I think it will make me feel better, improve my health. I have swallowed some of the nastiest concoctions (laughs) for health. I, I do it daily if necessary. What Chelsea said about exercising, for me, running and hiking are my favorite ways of uh, just relieving stress. If I don't go out and do something like that for about two weeks stretch, I just get anxious. Like weightlifting or resistance training doesn't cut it for me. I have to go out in nature and move my body across the ground to to relieve that uh, stress. 
you know, skiing sounds fun to me, but if I think about getting injured to the point where, you know, I might have to have a surgery to fix something, uh, that's just too much. It's cutting into my legacy of later in life. How about you, Amanda? Yeah. So fitness is like a no-go here. <laughs> I have had physical pain since I've been 16. So there is a lot of, you know, when you're 18, you can't do a stand-up job. You find a sit-down job kind of a thing. And if I go for too long of a walk, I'm popping pain pills for the next couple of days. So there are things I, I don't mind, like a 20 minute walk. I can do that, but there is no consistent with that. But if you want to get me on that, I need to join a class and there needs to be competition. And then with that competition, I will therefore put my body at physical risk to beat the next person. So I'm not last. But nothing with extreme sports, but this could be like lifting too much. It could be running too much. It could be doing something that is just too much for my body. So there's that. And food is there to be enjoyed. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about that in my world. If it's just plain chicken and plain veggies, no thanks. I'll skip that meal until there's something better going on. And I love going to like different restaurants and finding food. And Amanda, do you have kind of in view the legacy piece, the future? I do in the way that I have seen um, to heal my insides. So I've seen naturopaths, I go to like all these different alternative type of healings and supplements to make sure that my body inside is working to the best of its ability so that I can be as healthy as I can for my kids. I was just going to say, like listening to you talk about the competition, that is the most relatable thing I have heard so far today. I always, especially with running, because I am not a fast runner. I can run for a while, but not fast. And so I'm always like, I'm just, I'm going to do my own pace. I'm not trying to keep up with you. And it never fails that I absolutely am trying to keep up with you. And I am trying not to look like a wimp in the background. So that was so relatable. It was painful. That's very eight. (laughs) I don't think this is a self-pres thing. We are so excited to share something new we've been working on. We have now launched the Enneagram 8 community. This is a community where Enneagram 8s can come together to feel seen and heard for the heart of who they are, a place where you can just be you. If you're interested in joining us here, go to the Enneagram8community.com to sign up. So the next category is skills and resources. So (laughs) these words come up a lot with this instinct. So I listed a few things to think about. Do you gather skills? I know some of you do. And what's your motivation for doing that? And what are some of the skills that you've gathered? So I don't know that I gather skills at work. Certainly I'm a nurse. And so having certain skills in my back pocket, it's handy, but I don't know that I would say that I collect or gather skills. Would you say you gather resources? Absolutely. And I was just going to say like, and especially at work, I am never going to stand around and say, I'm the nurse who knows everything, you know, clinically or even outside of work. But I think that's the best example I might not know the answer, but I know exactly who to call to get the answer and I can have them on the phone very quickly. And so I'm okay with not knowing everything myself, but I'm going to know someone who does know and be able to have a relationship with someone so that I can reach out to get either information or physical help or whatever it is that I need. So I would say for sure I collect resources. What's the motivation? 
I think I'm able for the most part to let go of my ego typically. Like I don't have to be the person who, again, knows everything, but I am still the person that people tend to go to when they have a question or have a need because they know. And I'll always say either let's learn together or this person can help us. Let's go call them. And so I want to be the person that people can come to. I want to be helpful. I want people to trust me and and feel comfortable coming to me. Okay. How about you, Lamar? What's your relationship with skill gathering, resource gathering, the whole piece? I would say I gather skills and my motivation for gathering skills is so that I can be independent and to increase my security. The skills I've gathered, for example, sales skills, mechanical skills, being able to fix, you know, engines. I've taken carburetors apart, just taught myself how using YouTube. Farming, I've had 300 calves in my barn. I learned how to give them shots and and all that stuff. Uh, I've really studied relationships. I have taught school. I know body structure correction, kind of like chiropractic, IT and manufacturing. And there are many more things I would love to learn, like CPR and, and things like that to be able to help people when they're in need. Did you gather those things as you needed them and you were like, okay, well, I would rather never need someone else for this. So I'm just going to learn it. Relationships for sure. Like studying relationships. I started this back at 15. I did not want to have a premarital counselor or something like that. I did at that point, I was way too close to have someone speak into our relationship. I'm getting to the point where I might be able to have someone speak into our relationship, but it's still, it's, it's way too scary. I'd rather take care of it myself. I have been really wrestling since that first interview we did with the word resources and why do I react negatively to it? Honestly, I don't remember a time when I liked the word resources. I do think it ties back somehow to my experience of having to move from my childhood home and learning that physical things are temporary and therefore I'm guarding myself so I don't get hurt again. I think there's some connection there, but today I was thinking about, I do get attached to my tools. I, I, I have a relationship with them. And I, when I say tools, I'm talking about things that serve me repeatedly. So when I think about resources, I think about food in the pantry, gas in the tank and, and that kind of thing. And those things are disposable. Basically, they get used and then you have to get something new. So if I have a lot of food in the pantry, that stuff gets used up and then it's gone. So I don't get attached to that, but I did notice today that I do get attached to my clothes, uh, my car, basically any tool that I use repeatedly. After I use it for quite a while, I get to the point where it I actually have a relationship with it. And <laughs> so if I have a tool, like let's take jeans, for example, I hate buying jeans that wear out in less than a year. Because by the time I start really getting attached to them and really loving them, they're worn out. So I would love to spend hundreds of dollars for jeans if I had the money so that I could have a relationship that lasts for five, 10 years with them. And I do that kind of thing with like our car, for example. I think it looks cheap and outdated, but it's gotten to the point where it's it's so faithfully served me that I love working on it. I love you know making sure it keeps running. And I'm I'm actually getting to the point where I'm proud of the fact that I bought this car for less than $2,000 and it, it's done 60,000 miles for me. It's no sign of giving out on me. So I don't know. Does that make sense what I said? I for sure relate to that. And 
that makes me laugh. When we moved about four years ago, we moved to North Carolina and, and I threw away so many things. I was like, we'll get a new one when we get there. That's $15. We'll get a new one when we get there. That's $5. We'll, we'll buy a new one when we need it. I think about like my car. It's so funny that you brought that up. My husband goes through cars like a crazy person and I'm, I'm going to let that go. But I have had the same car. I had a car from the time I was a senior in high school, which was 2009, until I was pregnant with my first baby. And that was 2016. It was a two-door. My parents were like, you cannot have this car anymore. You have to get a new one. So I got a new car. And now I'm like so attached to my car. And it is so plain. It is so basic. There's nothing thrilling about it. There's sand in the backseat. Like I will cry the day I have to get a new car. Like when the Honda Civic breaks down and cannot work any longer, it will shatter my heart. <laughs> I'm so attached to this. I think if resources are things, tools that I use repeatedly, yes, I'm definitely attached to them is what I'm trying to say. How do you relate to this, Lisa? I gather skills as I need them. Like I become an expert at what I need. I wrote down knowledge is power, self-reliant. You know, maybe that's part of the five in me. A funny example is we're doing a remodel upstairs and redoing bathrooms and so forth. And I hired an interior designer for a minute to help me. And then I was like, I don't even know why I have her. You know, it's like I go and research it anyway. So I had her for about a couple of weeks and I was like, "Ah, I'm going to do this myself. You know, I know it's going to be right and it's going to be the way I want. But I was like, I know more about this than she does. And I'm not even the designer. So, you know, it's just we become what we need. Right. I figured that was true. Lamar. I would say I purposefully put myself in situations where I have to learn something like teaching, for example. You know, I had a couple of years of manufacturing, so let's learn teaching. And I taught at a private school, so I didn't have to go to school for it. But yeah, I'll put myself in situations where I have to learn. But usually I do it in such a way that the people that are around me at the time I'm learning don't know I'm learning. Okay. How do you relate, Amanda? I do both resources and skills. And I think it depends on what stage of life that I'm in. So we were in a very, very tight financial situation with my husband being in school for five years and I was in school before being a stay-at-home mom. And so like no money coming in kind of a situation. So then knowing where to get the best deal on this, knowing where to get clothes for your kids, like all those things. And like, I'd buy for next year now because it's on sale. And so like that instinct of protecting and collecting resources and like really came in you would never have been able to tell that we were you know short on cash based on the outward appearance but then when I was able to focus back on to knowing more and getting more skills when I went back to work then after I went to school and I'm in human resources so I purposely picked a job where I get to know everybody I get to know who you are and where you belong and who you are and where you belong. And I don't like to be stuck in a corner in my job. Like I like to know everything about everything. And I might not be an expert on every subject, but I can guide you here, there. I want to know how to do all this so that I don't have to ask anybody else because that's uncomfortable. I want to be in control of the situation because then I know. But truthfully, sometimes it does become a burden because everybody's always asking you and it's like, you don't have time for yourself. 
That's funny because it like uh, I think of Chelsea's dance buffer, and if you know a lot about a lot of stuff, you ruin your buffer because everyone comes to you. <laughs> I would rather have them come to me than me go to them. Remind yeah. me, Amanda, of your stacking. S P S X S O. Okay, so like I'm right there with you. I hear what you're saying. And do you come home from work some days? on the days that are heavy with everyone coming to you and you are serving the people that you work with, right? You are being that resource to everyone. Kind of, do you come home feeling like I have been everything for everyone and I have nothing left in me? All, all the time. And that's one of the reasons now I don't actually work full time, four days out of the five. Yeah. I think it feels like a good time to kind of highlight because people view me as very social and probably you the same way. And I know we'll talk about this later, but it wears me out. Like I can be everything for everybody. I'm not a social person, but I put myself in that situation of almost being needed or, you know, being a resource for people. And it can look very social, but it is not. And it is absolutely draining. Your instinct looks like the opposite instinct. Because you're making connections with a bunch of people and you're learning a bunch of skills, but it's not to be social. (laughs) That's not your motivation. Externally, people are like, oh, they're so social and they mistake you. I think it's probably also a big thing for eights, especially because we do like to be in control and we do like to run things and that looks social. And I will say like, I'm the being social. It's the exact opposite for me. So when I'm in those situations, I come home filled up and I have more energy. Okay, so then the next huge category, which from the outside, those of us that don't have this really see this in you guys, (laughs) boundaries. So let's just talk about boundaries. Do you consider yourself a boundaried person? This could be also um, self-control. I'll just let you go where you want to with that. And then we'll, we'll go from there. Chelsea? So yeah, with boundaries, for sure. I have have some pretty tough walls, um, pretty thick walls that I put up. I would say like self-control is a pretty easy yes for me, except with the potato chips and the Coke. (laughs) Outside of that, I have really good self-control, I would say. And that's something that I really value. Like that's important to me because if I can't control myself, how can I expect to be able to control anything or anyone else around me? But boundaries, I think if I can kind of touch back to people think that I don't have as many boundaries as I do um, because I do, I dig into people. I want to get to know you. I want to know about your kids. I want to know about your life. What do you like to do? What are your hobbies? Tell me all about you. And then everything, I am internalizing everything you tell me. So I know how to keep you as close or as far from me as I want you. And so I think that can come across like I don't have boundaries because I'm going to talk to everybody I'm going to get to know everyone. I'm going to know very personal things about everyone. But then I use that. I don't necessarily throw up walls. I'm not the person who's going to be rude and look at someone and say, hey, you need to get away from me. Like, you know, if it's not an immediately threatening situation, I'm not going to say, hey, have a great day. See you later and just walk away. I'm not going to be rude, but I'm going to use what I know about you or what I've gathered about you to keep you however far from me. I feel like you need to be. I was running recently in my neighborhood. And uh, there was a man walking ahead of me. It was a warmer day. He had on baggy sweatpants, had a backpack, just looked a little shady. I did not get a good feeling in the, in, you know, in my gut. So I'm approaching this person and I realized that at the pace I'm going, I'm going to catch up to and then pass him. And at that point, he's going to be behind me. And I'm either going to have to try to 
appear in control and not panic and not turn around and, you know, look over my shoulder, letting him know that I'm scared or I'm going to have to slow way down, which I didn't want to do because I just at that point wanted to get away. And so as I got closer and I'm thinking all this through, you know, I'm looking 10 steps ahead. What if I do this? What if I do this? I finally just slowed down and started walking beside him. And I tried to ask questions that were very not threatening, you know, oh, do you live around here? Where are you from? But just, oh, it's kind of a warm day and just chatted his ear off until we got to closer to the top of the hill um, where I knew I could go a different direction and kind of make my escape again. Like I can run all day long, but I'm not going to outrun anybody. So I don't know that that was my safest option. I don't know that that was the best choice, but for me, being able to walk beside this person who I really didn't have a great feeling about and just kind of chit chat and make myself look small, make myself look non-threatening, but also to slow down and look this person in the eye and kind of send that message of, I'm not scared of you, even though I absolutely kind of was. (laughs) That was the only way I felt like I could truly control that situation. I don't know if you all have this on the Nextdoor app, which is just like you can post about things that happen in your neighborhood. Someone posted and described this person exactly a couple hours later and said that this person had robbed their next door neighbor at gunpoint. And I was just like, okay, well, certainly I did the right thing, right? So I have battled with that. But just truly being able to not set up a firm wall, I'm not going to be rude to you. I'm not going to, you know, immediately shut you down unless I am absolutely like terrified. But for me, I can control the situation better if I know something about you, if I can kind of be right there with you. So it was a really long way to say, yes, I have boundaries. I just disguise them. <laughs> I feel like it's your eight probably. But if you thought he was dangerous, was it yourself press that is like, but damn it, I'm going to get this run done. Because why didn't you just turn around and go back the other way? Like, why didn't you run the other direction? That was like the first thing my husband asked. I was like, well, I was, I was already at the part of my run where like, if I kept going, it would be the exact pace out or like the exact distance I wanted to do today. But if I turn around, it would destroy my plan. <laughs> I had to stick to the plan. I just had to adjust it a little bit. What other type would be like, I think he might murder me. So we're going to develop a strategy so I can keep running. And I like weirdly relate, but that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, boundaries. My house, my car, my physical stuff. It's mine. Leave it alone. But as far as sharing about myself, I don't feel like I'm boundaried in that way so much. But if I get the feeling or if someone starts telling me how I could do better, how I could improve my life. If they start, you know, telling me what I should do, then the walls go up thick and hard. Self-controlled. I didn't know I was self-controlled, but my wife has told me that I am very much. Are you a boundary person? I can as easily say no as I can say yes. Like I have no problem with either. So yeah, I say no and yes very easily. Are you self-controlled? Mostly. I'm pretty nice to myself these days, you know, Um, just kind of go with the flow. Um, I'm more private, but the car thing was cracking me up. You know, um, I think that's the part of us that's practical. Like Chelsea, when she got on, she's, you were like, part of me is practical. I heard practical and I was like, I'm the same way. Like I'll get a car that I love and I'll drive it till it dies. And then I'll get another car that I love. Yeah. Boundaries. I would say, yes, I'm a boundary person. And somebody just came up to me recently and asked, when do boundaries become walls? And I was like, when they're unhealthy, but who are we to tell the next person that their boundaries are walls and they're unhealthy? 
I would love to say that I have boundaries and hardly any walls, but they coincide. And um, self-controlled, I would say I was way more self-controlled my younger self than I am now. I have had to adapt and go with the flow more in, in like the last 20 years of my life. Whatever happens, happens. But what I do control is my calendar. That I find I still have the self-control, the mental energy to control that. Why don't you talk about how you manage expectations and we'll see if the others relate. Let's take sales, for example. When I'm, when I'm in a position where I'm selling something to someone, I can do a good job of telling stories and making the product or the service that I'm talking about sound like you know it's going to solve all your problems. But when the person actually says that they want the product or service, then I get nervous. And I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm afraid they're going to expect too much of this. And then I start backpedaling and I start saying things like, well, for example, I, I was a mold inspector and remediator at one point. And I had a client that paid me like, oh, it, it had to be $9,000 total to clean out their basement and get rid of their mold. And I did the stupidest thing. After, <laughs> after I was done, the guy asks me, so will this take care of our mold problem? And I paused and said, <laughs> yes, it should if you, and then I listed off a whole bunch of things that could go wrong. <laughs> and I saw like the look on his face, it fell and, and I knew something was wrong. It took me some time to figure it out. And later I was like, man, I did that man such a disservice by saying those things, but I was covering my back to make sure that he's checking all his boxes so that he doesn't come to me blaming me for something that was his fault. I was going to say, Laura, you really hit the nail on the head with that because there's times where I listen to my husband talking to customers and I'm like, stop talking, just stop talking. Like too much information sometimes. Like you don't, they don't need to know all this. And at the end of the thing, they're all confused. Like, do I I really need this? And he's like, well, yeah, you do. They're like, but you just told me all these things that could go wrong. He's like, I just want you to be aware. (laughs) So, so I totally relate to that. No, my husband does this funny thing where he loves to overperform, right? So he puts your expectations at this level and he performs at this level he will go play hockey in his men's night league and he will wear the stuff he wore in high school 25 years ago. And he looks like a bum. Like, honestly, I'm like, buy some new hockey equipment. No, I'm good. I'm good. But he goes out and looks like he's some guy who borrowed someone's equipment that was at the side of the road for garbage day. (laughs) And then he goes out and plays and everyone's like, Oh, you, you actually can play, right? Like it's, it's this mentality of protecting himself all the time. So he's over exceeding everyone's expectations of him. It's like a self-protection thing of not letting anyone down. I feel like everyone except for Lisa is like very just yes, like nodding. I had a boyfriend in high school who used to say, aim low and never be disappointed. And I swear to God, I'll live by that every single day. (laughs) I'm going to write that down for my husband. Maybe maybe put it above the bed. (laughs) I tend to be a little like self-deprecating. Like I'm gonna and not play dumb, but I'm I know when to be quiet and I'm I'm not gonna build myself up super high, but I'm like in competition with myself. So at the end of the day, you're gonna be surprised. I had a doctor look at me a couple of weeks ago and say, I didn't realize you were so smart. 
And I was like, am I offended or have I just done a really good job of doing this thing I want to do, which is having people not have expectations of me. But then, you know, when I'm able to be helpful or do something like they're pleasantly surprised. And so this is clearly resonating. <laughs> oh, yeah. With the expectations, like my motto is assume the worst. That's um, everything, including like assume the worst of me, too, so that whatever happens will be a pleasant surprise any contracts, anything I go to, it's like, well, what's hatch? Managing expectations on other people, though, too. It's like, I am very organized in the way, like, if I'm going out on a Sunday night, I I tell them right away, yes, but I have to be home by eight. Yes, but, yes, but. And to me, it's doing them a service and telling them the truth. Like, this is what it is. If you'd rather me than not go for that hour, let's say it only starts at seven, then then I won't go. Your loss, not mine. I could never be a salesperson because I could never lie that much. Your tri-type is called the truth teller, right? Is that you? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I'm too short and too succinct, especially in my company where I need to be more fluffy and people are sensitive. And so I've gotten trouble, you know, for having emails that are straight to the point. Lisa, um, did you relate at all to the managing expectations bit? No. Well, I I hold them loosely. Like expectations of myself are expectations of others. Like I expect a lot of myself. And when I work with a client, we have a contract to sign, right? And um, it's laid out about what our relationship is and, you know, good boundaries and what to expect from I'm a health and wellness coach, what to expect from the process and what I expect of them and what they can expect of me. So yeah, like I'm very clear on my expectations when I engage like that. But otherwise, I'm just kind of like, go with the flow. Lisa seems like a very healthy eight. And I would say (laughs) I am more on the average to unhealthy side of the eight. Um, And so I think about like the things I've seen where, you know, there are like the levels of healthy to unhealthy and you seem uh, to have a lot of growth and a lot of good, (laughs) healthy eightness to you. And I, I personally don't feel as though I share that I'm trying, but I don't think I'm there yet. Okay. I'm going to move into your middle instinct. It's the one that you can access kind of easily without a lot of angst, play zone kind of thing. So Chelsea, why don't you talk about how your middle instinct works for you? So my middle instinct is the SX. It is really easy for me to get into if I am feeling safe. And I kind of joke around and say that airports are my playground. Like I'm going to go find someone. I'm going to dig into them. I'm going to like make a connection Because I know that they're going to get on a plane and go to one side of the country or wherever, and I'm going somewhere else. We'll never see them again. I'm not getting their, you know, Instagram or their phone number. I'm not trying to make a long-term connection, but like, I want to kind of dig into them a little bit. I have to feel safe. And so if I, if I don't feel safe, then I can very easily let that, that SX go. I don't need to dig into you. I want to know things about you, but I'm I'm going to more observe from afar rather than digging in myself to figure out again, just how to keep you the right distance away from me. But I enjoy it. Like when I do feel safe, I do. I enjoy it. I enjoy making connections and and having a deep connection with somebody. Certainly, you know, you, you have people in your life that you just have that instant connection to and that chemistry never feels like the right word, but I guess just like that chemistry with that it's greatest thing in the world. And then sometimes you just have to let that go. And that is heartbreaking. How about for you, Lamar? Riffing off of what Chelsea said, I would I would say 
um, the idea of connecting with someone at an airport and then having them move on is that would be a disappointment disappointment for me. I love the idea of having relationships all over the place where in a matter of minutes we can we can dive deep into you know what they're experiencing in life. We don't need a lot of time to get close. I don't like uh, small talk. I don't like spending a lot of time doing small talk when uh, I meet someone, but I love the idea of having people all over the place that I can move past small talk quickly. And I, I think the reason I like the idea of having them all over the place is because it's easier to manage. They're not all coming for my calendar at the same time. I love <laughs> having friends that stop in passing through that kind of thing, but not on a regular basis. I don't want them scheduling a recurring event on my calendar. But yeah, like I said, my first interview, I would say SX in the middle. One of my older brothers told me that a real fisherman loves to be on the water and whether or not he catches a fish doesn't decide whether or not he's going to enjoy himself. And that's how I am at any social event. I enjoy watching people. If I have a great conversation with someone, that's the best experience, but I'm not going to walk away disappointed if I don't. I will go with you next, Amanda, because you also have SX in the middle. Relating to that airport story, which I think is, is a great one, to me, I would think of it as a waste of time and I couldn't be bothered. However, I do see the, I'm never going to see them again, so what's the harm? Let's get to it. But I'm not going to put the amount of energy into it. I've always wanted like that one friend and they are so hard to come by. I don't know. I have felt that I think this is my age, like that gut, that instinct that this person is safe twice in my life. Really with those two people, that's pretty much I'm good. I don't need a lot. Um, I would love more, but it doesn't come easy. Yeah, I don't go to a party to find somebody. And if, But going on what Lamar said about if you have like a good conversation at a party, I do feel filled. And actually, if nobody comes and approaches me and actually tries to get to know me, I feel very disappointed. And then I wonder, like, there's my cynical part of why did I even come here? Why was I invited? I'm not coming next time. But I know I don't make it easy on myself sitting on the outskirts, looking cold, probably sitting there with my arms crossed with an RBF face. I don't have a natural just resting smile on my face. So it can be very intimidating coming to approach me. Yet when you don't, I feel very disappointed. So then I won't attend again. Uh, really hard. And I don't do small talk either. So let's just get to it. And yeah, you'll be my friend. I'll be your friend. And yay, we're good to go. I think what's really interesting between the three of you, like you all have the same stacking order, but your tri-type, we can hear it come into play in every single one. Oh, yeah. Okay, moving on to Lisa, you also have five in your tri-type, but having the social next just makes a huge difference. Well, you know, the list that you guys gave out about the, the different, you know, social, like, are you social? Or are you self-present? Stuff like that. On the social list, it was like all the fun without the drama, right? Without the awareness of the power dynamics and stuff like that. Because like, if I'm feeling safe, I don't really care about anything else. So I can like go and have fun. Recently, I went on a hiking trip retreat with 16 other women and I'm just like, oh, this is fun. You know, it's it's easy for me and I can pop in and pop out. 
if the energy is good, I love it. And if the energy is bad, I, I start feeling drained and I just do a little Irish goodbye or something and slowly leave or something like that. So social is nice because I'm a gatherer of people. Um, I have a women's Bible study group. I facilitate of about 25 women. I love that. I do a lot of group things. I'm a, a gatherer and a networker um, without the drama. So I love it. It's playful. It is. So Chelsea, that's last for you. Social. It probably doesn't sound like Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. I social. Anytime I truly try to just let go and I will, there have been times I'm just going to go into this. I'm going to have a good time. Not going to be crazy. I'm not going to be studying everyone's behavior. Like the psychologist in the corner, like I'm just going to go have fun. First of all, I can't like I, I physically cannot. And then if I manage to do a little bit of that, it is so draining to me. And kind of to circle back, I think I can appear very social because I want to know everyone. I want to know things about everyone so that I can control how close I let them to me, which sounds so selfish. And so, but I do, I, I think I appear very social and I'm just not. And I go home and I just, I hide in the closet. <laughs> I just tuck myself away. I want to just be away from the world. Like I love weddings. I love wedding receptions find me on the dance floor. Right. But I'll come home and two days later, I have a migraine. Anytime I'm in a big social situation, it is so predictable. Two days later, I am in bed with a migraine and my body is just shuts it down. I mean, it just like shuts down afterwards and it takes a while for me to kind of recuperate from that. So Lamar, how's having social asked for you? Yeah, it's interesting. It sounds like Amanda and Chelsea would consider them themselves introverts and I'm actually an extrovert. So I am filled, filled by being around people, but I have a mistrust of groups. The power of a group to push me to do something, it scares me. I just turn into the most withdrawn and territorial version of myself when I feel some power dynamic shifting against me or, or the potential for it to shift against me. So I love being around people. I love talking with people. I find it energizing, but it just, the group thing is scares me. By the way, Aaron, I so appreciated the way you and um, Jess, yeah, the way you talked about making connections, that was extremely helpful for me because that's something I would love to do. I just haven't felt like I'm in a place of security where I have the time to make connections and, and, you know, find out, you know, who do you know and how can I help connect you to someone else that gave me an avenue for opening up my social instinct. It feels like a place I can start opening up the social instead of getting committed to a group and going with that group's mission, but just going into a group and finding out who knows who and, and connecting the dots. That's something I would love to do. So thanks for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. I would also add to what you just said, like the potential to shift against people, the group dynamic, like getting involved in that. When you were talking about that, like uh, the heat in my body, I have the same reaction. Like I don't want to be part of anything that I don't believe is doing what I think is right or true or honest or whatever it is. The difference will be that I will feel compelled to then go start my own movement to shift that group. I will just that. leave. I'm, I'm just gone. <laughs> Yeah. I'm gone. <laughs> Amanda, you can 
describe your social ask? So it definitely is something that I, I want to do. I'm usually around a lot of social people. My closest relationships are social. That brings a bit of a tug of war. I do know that when I am in a healthier spot, which I've been able to do this this past year, like I, I joined a book club where I didn't know anybody because I'm like, I need to get to know more people. And that first meeting was so nerve wracking, but I had to gear up for that. It was three months of, yes, I'm going to do this, signing up and then reading the book. And then eventually I just had to like press that yes button. I just had to like close my eyes and do it and actually go with a lot of pushing from my husband and say like, this is going to be good for you. There are times where he is right sometimes, but it is so difficult to want to put that energy in and I can only do it when the other boxes are checked and I am in a healthy spot where I feel I actually have that extra energy that I can give away. Lisa, your last instinct is SX. And it's so funny because Chelsea keeps talking about the dance floor. (laughs) And I wish I could just get out there. Like I do get out there, but I, I don't do all the fun dances that you guys do. So much more contained. But, you know, I'm kind of relieved. It is my last because I also identify as highly sensitive and an empath. I have a small group and my small group gets my SX, my very intense one-to-one, connect, deeply connected. But if I had that second, I couldn't survive because I am so sensitive to everything. And I really feel with people and for people. So I am kind of relieved, but I'm a bad dancer. So, you know, what can I say? <laughs> I mean, there's I, I can hold space for people all day. The people that I can really connect with one-on-one, it's a deep, intense connection, but I can't do that with everybody. So I am relieved it is last, thank God. That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface, and you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor.